Hey, and welcome to this week's episode of the Mid-City Church Sermon Cast. My name is Fernie, and I'm the pastor here at Mid-City Church, and I'm excited to uh, uh, welcome you to uh, this brand new sermon series we're starting called Bible Basics OT. Uh, we're, we're talking about the Old Testament and some of the, the very basic foundations of what the Old Testament is about. And I hope this is uh, helpful for you, especially as we read through Scripture, because uh, I know that the Old Testament can be intimidating, but there's actually so many, uh, so much good news in it. So get ready, because here we go. After going to youth group for the very first time in seventh grade, I went home and felt a little embarrassed to go back. It wasn't because I didn't feel cool enough, and it wasn't because I didn't make any friends. It wasn't even because I thought my friends at school would make fun of me. I was too embarrassed to go back because I knew nothing about the Bible, and it seemed like everyone else did. So let me tell you what happened. It was my first night at youth group, and our youth director told us to open to a specific scripture. Now, I don't remember exactly what scripture he told us to turn to, but let's just pretend he said something like, turn to John three sixteen to 17. Now, today, I know what that means. But back then, I had no clue what to do with this piece of information. So here's what I did. First, I looked for page 316, because what else could 316 mean, right? I figured that if we were going to read from page 316 to 317, like that's the only logical explanation. But when I got to page 316, it didn't sound anything like what was being read. So then I went to the table of contents, and I thought, maybe I can find a chapter named John, And I found it, but when I opened to the first page of John, it also didn't sound anything like what was being read. Now, at this point, I had no clue what else to do, so I just closed my Bible, hid my frustration, and pretended like I just really wanted to listen to Scripture uh, be read out loud with my eyes closed, right? The experience got worse. So even though I was sitting in the back of the room, our youth director noticed that I was having a difficult time finding my place in my Bible. So in front of everyone, uh, he asked me what was going on, and I had to admit that I had no clue what John 3, 16 to 17 meant. Right? So he stopped, he smiled, and he explained to me that uh, he wrote it on the board, actually. And he said, John 3, 16 means that you have to open to the book of John, you have to find chapter 3, and then the number after the colon means the verses that you're reading. So uh, in order to find this, he said, just look for the little numbers at the beginning of most sentences, and that's the verse numbers. So finally, after being embarrassed in front of everybody for not knowing uh, what, how to find my spot in the Bible, I, uh, I, I finally found it, and I was, we were ready to proceed. And then I did something pretty dumb. So as our youth director began to read, what he was reading still didn't line up with what I was reading. I was on the, in the book of John, chapter 3, verse 16, but it didn't line up. So I raised my hand and I said, Ben, I think I'm still in the wrong place. Now, instead of... Uh, 
instead of just describing to you what happened, I want to give you an example. So if you have a Bible near you, I want to invite you to open up to Psalm 23. Uh, maybe uh, you can pull it up on your phone. Uh, it, or, or if not, maybe you've heard the traditional version of Psalm 23 that says something like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He leadeth me towards pastures, right? There's there's a, a, a version of it that we read at most funerals, if you've ever been to one. So I want you to, to either, like I said, find your Bible, think about that uh, translation as I read this translation, this version of Psalm 23. It says, The Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He lets me rest in grassy meadows, He leads me to restful waters, He keeps me alive, He guides me in proper paths for the sake of His good name. Even when I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no danger because you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they protect me. You set a table for me right in front of my enemies. You bathe my head in oil. My cup is so full, it spills over. Yes, goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will live in the Lord's house as long as I live. Okay, so if you actually found a Bible or you pulled it up on your phone, uh, you will know that uh, every translation is a little bit different, right? There's the NRSV and the NIV and the King James and the CEB, and there's so many different versions. Well, when I was in seventh grade, I didn't know this. And so what I learned that night was that Bibles come in different shapes, sizes, colors, and most importantly, different translations, Right? But you have to put yourself on my feet. As a seventh grader, uh, anytime I read out loud, it was usually in class, and we always had the same book, right? So like a student would read a chapter or a paragraph, and then the next student would read a paragraph, and we all had the exact same thing in our textbooks. So I just assumed my Bible would do the same, right? But it doesn't. All of us have different versions and different translations and uh, different contexts that, that we read our Bibles through. <clears throat> Now, just for fun, let me share two more embarrassing things that happened that day. So after a youth group, after everyone had left, I decided to go back into the youth room and I, I grabbed the Bible that I had been using that evening and I put it in my backpack. Yes, I stole a Bible in seventh grade. Uh, I actually still have it. It's in my office and um, I, I still like to go back and look at it every once in a while. And I will say I eventually confessed to my youth director and he laughed and said, Fernie, those Bibles are meant to be taken. Right. So I ended up not doing anything bad, but I still felt guilty about it for a long time. The second embarrassing thing that happened to me that night was when I got home, I was determined that I wanted to start reading the Bible from cover to cover so that I could stand what it was about. But if you've ever tried doing that, you know that reading the Bible straight through is pretty difficult to make sense of. So after a couple of chapters, right, there begins to be a lot of questions and a lot of uh, concerns and a lot of things that just don't make sense, right? So I did what I was taught to do in grade school, uh, really in middle school, which was if, if you need to read something fast, either look for spark notes or read the first uh, but, uh, the first chapter and the last chapter, and that'll tell you everything that happens in between. Well, let me tell you, that doesn't work with the Bible. That night, I read a little bit of Genesis, and I got confused, so I turned to the book of Revelation, the last couple paragraphs, and, and I got confused there, so I just, I gave up and I closed my Bible. Now, I, I shared this story because I know that reading scripture, reading the Bible can be intimidating, right? I mean, there's so many questions and things that just don't make sense 
rules that leave us asking, why was this even implemented, right? And there's killing and conquest and war and love, and there's so much happening in the Old Testament and really throughout all of Scripture. And at times we can get so bogged down in the little details that instead of pushing through Scripture and seeing the bigger narrative, we just miss it instead. We give up on it instead. So that is why for the next four weeks, we're going to be starting a series titled Bible Basics OT or Old Testament. We're going to look at overarching themes. We're going to understand the different parts of the Old Testament. And my hope is that by the end of this series, you will have a basic enough understanding of the Old Testament that scripture will begin to lose its ability to intimidate you. Now, here's how it's going to work. I'm going to cover some very basic things today, two very basic things today. And then in the uh, moving forward in the podcast, we're going to take a closer look at the four sections of the Old Testament. And that's the, the, the Torah, the history, the prophets, and the writings. Now, it's okay if you don't know what any of that means right now, but I do want to encourage you to join in on the podcast uh, because we're also going to have Dr. Lisa Wolf join us in all the episodes. So she is a professor of religion at the Oklahoma City University Wimberley School of Religion and uh, St. Paul Theological Seminary. Uh, She also attended my alma mater, Garrett Evangelical Theological Seminary. Shout out to my my schools. Uh, Dr. Wolf's focus is on the Old Testament, and I have to tell you, she's a brilliant person. She uh, taught me most of my Old Testament classes, and uh, she taught my Hebrew class, and she's just a really smart person who has a lot of information to to bring to the table, and you're not going to want to miss these next couple of episodes with her. For now, like I said, let me get started by by answering a a couple of uh, major questions that I think tend to come up about the Old Testament that keep us from reading Scripture. So the first question is, what is the Old Testament even about, right? So in simple terms, the Old Testament is the story of the Israelite people. So it, uh, it, it begins by, uh, with a guy named Abraham in Mesopotamia. And God says, Abraham, I need you to leave everything, uh, take your wife, and, and go to a land that I will tell you. So eventually he ends up in what we know today as Israel, but back then it was known as Canaan. So he lives there for years. Eventually he has, uh, well, he, he goes to Egypt and then he comes back to Israel. Eventually he has multiple children. One of them was named Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and then Jacob eventually had 12 sons. Now, I really recommend to go back and read through all of it because there's a lot more to it than just Jacob and Isaac and Abraham. Like, there's a lot of side stories that are really good. Now, it's important to understand that Jacob's 12 sons did not get along, uh, particularly with Joseph. So so I'm going to try to uh, condense this really quickly. So uh, uh, Jacob had two wives and two concubines. He really loved one wife. He got stuck with another wife. The wife he really loved, the first child that that wife uh bore him or gave him was the son named Joseph, right? So he really loved his wife, Rachel. Rachel had a son named uh, Joseph, and this was Jacob's favorite son because Rachel was his favorite wife. Again, it's complicated, but just go with me as we go through this timeline, okay? So um, one day after years of frustration, Joseph's brothers decide to sell him into slavery, And then they go back to their dad and they say, hey, dad, Joseph has been killed. And as difficult as that was for Jacob, I mean, it was terribly difficult. 
he and his children, his children simply had to learn how to move on with their lives. Now, eventually, there's a big famine in the land, and the, the remaining 11 sons, they have to go to Egypt to plead for food, because that's the only place that has food. So, okay, I want you to put a pin in this, because uh, at the same time, unbeknownst to Jacob and his children, Joseph, who was sold into slavery, eventually becomes Pharaoh's right-hand man in Egypt. So when the 11 arrive in Egypt and they beg for food, they have no idea that they're actually begging for food from the brother they had sold into slavery. Plot twist, right? Okay, fast forward a little bit. Joseph, uh, in order to help his family during this famine, he brings his entire family to Egypt, where they're able to make a home alongside the Egyptians. And everything is working great. And that's until Pharaoh dies, the, the ruler of Egypt dies. And the new Pharaoh that comes in, he doesn't like the fact that there's way more Israelites than there are Egyptians, and he's afraid of an uprising. So Pharaoh makes them slaves. He takes all the Israelites and forces them to do hard labor and make mortar and bricks and do field work and all other kinds of cruel work. Okay, they're, they're slaves for a long time. So fast forward a little bit, and then we're introduced to this guy named Moses who after making many mistakes in his life, God calls him to go and free the Israelites from slavery in Egypt. Now, there's this back and forth between God and Moses uh, at, at a burning bush where God keeps telling him to go and Moses doesn't want to, but eventually Moses decides to uh, go along and, and tell Pharaoh to free the Israelites. So he gets there and Pharaoh refuses to let the Israelites go. So when that happens, God sends plagues uh, over the, the, the Egyptians until eventually Pharaoh lets the people leave. Now, as the Israelites were escaping, Pharaoh changes his mind because he did that often. And his army began to chase after the Israelites as they left, as they escaped. Now, that's when Moses, if you've ever heard this story or any know anything about Moses, Moses split the Red Sea, the Israelites make it all the way across, and then just in time for the Egyptians to go through the, the, the splitting of the Red Sea, the waters came in on them and drowns everybody in the army. And, and, and like, this is a lot. And you have to understand, all of this just happened in the first, like, book and a half, right? There's a lot that happens in the Old Testament, but this timeline is so important, so once the Israelites escaped Egypt, Moses leads them through the wilderness for years until one day they make it pretty much to the edge of the promised land. But uh, Moses had done something that no longer allowed him to enter into the promised land. Uh, I really recommend you go read it. And so because of that, he appointed Joshua to lead the people into the promised land. So this then turns into Joshua leading the people into the promised land and then years of war uh, and years of conquest and just uh, years of uh, very much uh, lots of difficulty. So eventually, after Joshua leading them for a long time, uh, God raises up judges. Now, uh, judges aren't kings by any means, but they did serve a very important role. So whenever the people would, when stuff would, when life would start going well for the people, they had a tendency to turn away from God and to start believing in other gods and to stop trusting in God. And so at that point, their lives would begin to fall apart. And so what the judge would do is he would show up and say, hey, we need to repent of our ways. We need to turn away from what we're doing because we've seen what happened in the past and we don't want it to happen to us today. 
And so the judges helped them over and over and over turn from their ways and, and put their attention back on God. So this works for a while until it no longer worked again. And uh, eventually the Israelites begin to beg for a king to lead them. And so eventually God chooses Saul as a king. And, and then that falls apart because of a lot of drama and pettiness. So then David, the same David who killed Goliath, becomes king. So David has a good reign, and then all of a sudden he dies, and Solomon becomes king, and Solomon is David's son. And these are all good years for the Israelite people. They're, they're working together with other nations, and things are going well. But when Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel gets split into two. And that's when the problems really begin. So kingdom after kingdom begins to take over the Israelites. Each time that these outside kingdoms begin to destroy their homes and they begin to disperse the people, the Israelite people all across the known world. And then eventually, right, we read these stories over and over again. And eventually the Old Testament ends with the Persian King Cyrus proclaiming that God has instructed him to build a temple in Jerusalem and that he allows he would now allow the Israelites to go back to Jerusalem and help build that temple. That's it. That's what the Old Testament is about. Now, I know it's a very condensed timeline of the Old Testament, a condensed version of it, and there's so much more that happens, and I really want to encourage you, go back and read it. Uh, but, but I will say this. I, I think understanding this timeline, as difficult as it may seem, understanding this timeline makes it a lot easier to follow along through the Old Testament and really understand what's happening, right? So if, if you really want to go a little bit deeper, you can go onto our website, www.midcity.church, and uh, look for the sermon cast tab, and you'll find a link there uh, for a, a timeline that goes right with this sermon. So if you want to dive deeper, you can follow along there, and I really want to encourage you to do that. So another question we need to answer, and this is, I think, the most important one. Why does God seem so angry in the Old Testament, but so loving and forgiving in the New Testament? Did God change? Let me ask you, have you ever heard that question or maybe asked a question like that yourself? I completely understand if your answer is yes, because I've asked that question. You see, in the Old Testament, we read stories like Noah's Ark, where God decides to destroy the entire world with a flood. So listen to this. It's from Genesis chapter 6. The Lord saw that humanity had become thoroughly evil on the earth, and that every idea their minds thought up was always completely evil. The Lord regretted making human beings on earth and was heartbroken. So the Lord said, I will wipe off the land, the, off of the land the human race that I've created, from human beings to livestock to the crawling things to the birds in the skies, because I regret I ever made them. Now, this sounds like a pretty angry God, right? A pretty unforgiving God, like he regrets making people and he's going to destroy all of them, right? So now compare that to John chapter 3, 16 uh, through 17, which we talked about earlier in the New Testament. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only son so that everyone who believes in him won't perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his son into the world to judge the world, but that the world might be saved through him. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like two very different versions of God, right? But I would actually beg to differ. 
I really don't believe it's God who changed. I think if we look closely, it's the people's understanding of who God is that changes, right? Their understanding of who God is evolves throughout the scriptures. And so it makes sense that at the beginning, from the beginning to the end of the Bible, uh, their, their knowledge, their relationship with God is growing deeper and deeper and deeper. And as that happens, their knowledge of God expands more and more and more and more. And if you look at the timeline we talked about earlier, this actually makes complete sense. So the Israelites spent a lot of time in Egypt under the rule of Pharaoh, right? Which means that they probably came to understand Egyptian culture and more importantly, Egyptian religion as well. And their understanding of God, uh, lowercase g, God, was way different than what uh, ours as Christians is, right? So for starters, the Egyptians had over 2,000 gods and goddesses, each one representing something different. So there was a goddess of the frogs, and there was a goddess of the cobras, and there was the goddess uh, of, of the sky and the god of the sun, right? Basically, there was a god for everything. Now, here's the thing about their understanding of the gods. While they understood um, uh, the, the, the gods to be nice and benevolent and cared for the people— you never knew when one of the gods or goddesses would get mad at you and punish you or cause you harm. Now, I don't know about you, but this is such a miserable way to live life, right? Always looking over your shoulder because you're afraid to do something wrong and then the gods are going to strike you. Well, while the Israelites did not view their god the same way uh, as the Egyptians, they were still processing who their god really was compared to the gods that they were introduced to in Egypt. So through this lens, it makes complete sense that the Israelites would tell a story in which God is so angry that he wants to destroy the whole world. And a lot of cultures have a story like this. And that, and it really relates to cultures that they were hearing and listening to, right? But notice one big difference in this story, in Noah's Ark story. God has enough love and compassion that he still chooses to save human beings and animals, I mean, that, that, that's the whole thing about uh, uh, Moses or Noah and his children and his family and the animals, right? God still chooses to save people. I think this is proof that uh, of the evolving knowledge of, God, of who God is, right? Surely uh, for the Israelites, surely he was angry and vindictive because that's all the gods that they knew. But surely God is also way more than that. Now, in seminary, I learned of two ways of studying God, and these two ways are cataphatic and apophatic theology. Uh, another name for these are positive and negative theology. So, in a nutshell, apophatic theology is using negative statements to describe God. So, an example of this is God is not evil, right? Um, cataphatic theology, on the other hand, is using positive statements to describe God. An example of this is saying God is good. So basically, we take terminology that we can use to describe ourselves and decide whether or not that terminology can be used to describe God. Here's the catch, though. We have to understand that no matter how many positive or negative terms we may use to describe God, they will never be enough to describe the fullness of God. In other words, God is not evil. That's true. But there's way more to God than just not being evil. And the opposite of that is also true. God is good, but there's so much more to who God is than just being good, right? When we understand God this way, we acknowledge that no matter how much we may know about God today, as our knowledge continues to grow, so does our understanding of who God is begins to grow. So why does all of this matter? 
I think that it is entirely possible that at the same time of the flood, the the Israelites' cataphatic or positive understanding of who God was, was, well, at least our God doesn't completely destroy everything, right? Hence Noah and his family and the animals and all that stuff. So in other words, it's it was their understanding at that point uh, that uh, God is actually loving and forgiving as well as these other things they always thought about God. And so their understanding of God is changing, it's growing, it's evolving. So these are the two basic things that I, I think it's important for us to know, right? Understanding a basic timeline and really knowing that it's not God who changes, it's the people's understanding of who God is that changes. So why do I share this? And I want to close with this. To be honest, my life really began to change once I started to understand the basics of the Bible, particularly the Old Testament. There's just something comforting to reading stories of great leaders that God raised up and then they fell and they made mistakes and then God still used them. It reminds me that grace really does exist and it's even offered to people like me. It's really comforting to to read story uh, the, the the creation stories and, and to realize just how intentional God was at creation and to realize that God made everything work so that we could have a dwelling place. It's comforting to read this story of how God provided for the Israelites in the wilderness. Right over and over again, they had food and they had safety and they had comfort, and it reminds me that no matter what wilderness I go through, God will still provide. It's comforting to read stories of the uh, the Israelites' life falling apart over and over and over again because they kept turning away from God. And it's comforting, right, because I turn away from God. And it's comforting to know that God will always show up for me just as he always showed up for the Israelites. In my opinion, the Old Testament really gives proof of how much God loves us and how far God is willing to go to forgive us and welcome us back every single day. And for me, I didn't fully understand this good news until I began to better understand the stories of the Old Testament. So my challenge to you is this. Keep listening. I want to invite you to dive deeper into these conversations. If you're in a small group, talk about these things. If you're not in a small group, I want you to just like to wrestle with these things. Maybe write them down on a notebook. Uh, maybe have some conversations with coworkers or friends. I really want to challenge you to spend time reading through scripture, uh, through the Old Testament, and allow yourself to wrestle with these texts, even if they seem difficult. Because here's the thing. The same God who created the heavens and the earth, The same God who defeats armies over and over again. The same God who makes a way over and over and over again. This is the same God that the Israelites come to know. That same God is waiting for you to encounter him in the midst of the pages of scripture. And so uh, I can promise you that doing so will change everything for you. And so that's my challenge for you to, to dive into scripture and to encounter this God. May it be so. Amen. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Mid-City Church Sermoncast. If you would like to dive deeper into today's topic, visit midcity.church sermoncast to find a home sheet that goes along with this message. On the home sheet, you will find scriptures, questions to wrestle with, and a challenge that goes along with this sermon cast. If this has been a helpful resource to help you grow in your faith, 
We want to invite you to support our ministry here at Mid-City Church by giving today. To give, text the word GIVE, G-I-V-E, to the number 225-307-0662. Thanks and see you next week.